There are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host, David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounters. And I am bummed, 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 so incredibly bummed because there was something I'm supposed to do next week. And I was really totally and completely excited about it. And now I have to bow out uh, because of some very unfortunate personal news. No, I'm not dying or anything like that, but just one of those personal emergencies. And uh, there's no way around it. And I feel bad. And the person that I'm going to disappoint, we're putting him on the line uh, right now. And it is Alan Green. And he is in charge of the International Canned Wine Competition, which will take place in Mendocino County. And, Alan, you're there, right? I'm here. You heard the bad news, right? Yes, I did. Well, next year. I'll be surprised if you even offer me a slot. I'm totally bummed. And, you know, sometimes things come up and, you know, you you can't get around it. It's an eight- or nine-hour drive up there and back. And, unfortunately, I've I've got some family issues to attend to. And family comes first, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I hope you'll forgive me. Yes, we'll save a spot for you for next year. I was going to be judging the the spritzers, was I not? And that seemed pretty exciting because it's been very, very hot lately. And that sounds like that would be a lot of fun to be enjoying some spritzers. Although there would be the temptation to swallow and not spit. Well, you'd be tasting about 70 wines, so you'd, you'd need to be spitting. Uh, but it, yeah, you were going to taste the spritzers, coolers, carbonated wines, flavored wines, probably rosés. Also, there are a lot of rosés in cans now. That's a lot of wine, actually. Well, I was kind of thinking this. I don't know if it, if it would work out, but I'm going to put up a, a plea out to uh, the folks out there who have private planes. And I have some friends that I actually tried to hit up because because of the the family issue, the 18 hours of driving was not going to work out. But if somebody wants to give me a ride from, say, the Paso Robles Airport to – I could go right near you, right? There's an airport yeah, right there? To, right to Boonville, absolutely. All right, well, maybe somebody would give me a lift and maybe you'd still let me do something or at least I could maybe crush the cans or something. There you go. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you know, ever since we had the interview a few weeks back and you really opened my eyes to the extent of how big – canned wines are in the wine market, I've really been really paying a lot of attention to it. And I've seen, just even yesterday, by the way, three major articles on wine and cans. This is really a force to be reckoned with. It's definitely taking off. Uh, I think it's the largest growing 
segment in, in the wine of any type of wine at the moment. And, and, you know, one thing that I didn't know about you and kind of in my surfing online, I discovered that you were one of the very early adopters of screw caps on wine bottles. Talk that's, about that for a second. Well, that's correct. My winery, Greenwood Ridge Vineyards, that I had till three years ago, uh, we went to screw caps about 15 years ago for all our wines. And that was pushed by one year when we had a lot of moldy corks in one batch and also a trip to New Zealand and Australia where almost every wine is in screw caps, uh, new, old, red, white, and nobody thinks about it at all. And they save uh, red wines for a long time with screw caps. So once we did it, other than a few people that were traditional, we never had any issues whatsoever. But screw caps are such a relatively new thing that I, I just I can't imagine 20 years from now, 30 years from now, somebody taking a special guest down into their wine cellar and pulling a bottle out of the wine rack and it having a screw cap. Are those caps going to be in good shape 30 years from now? Well, the people in Australia, if they wanted to see how, how their wines aged, they didn't trust the corks, so they always used screw caps. So, yes. So what are, what are the oldest screw caps out there? Do you happen to know? Uh, I don't know. I have to go to Australia and find out. Well, we, we could do that after the competition. And there you go. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a trip. I've got all my cellar is full of wines that I put in screw caps, and we're, you know, 10, 15 years now, and they age much better than wine with corks because there's not much oxidation. Is that right? And then the, is the screw cap 15 years later, is it intact? Does it look Absolutely. good? and yeah. as, It looks as pristine as it was when they put it on there? Because, yeah. you know, we all know that corks, you know, when a cork's been in the bottle for a long time, you know, sometimes you actually have to remove the, the cork and replace it on some older bottles. I've seen that happen, but the screw caps are pristine. So far, so good. All right. Okay. Well, that <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Anyway, so you have how many entries now in the International Canned Wine Competition? We're right at about 200 entries. Today is the last day for registration and wines to appear, and we're right at the 200 mark. So we've got three panels of judges, each tasting a third of those. So that's almost 70 wines per judge. Wow, 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 wow. And, you know, it's really funny. You know, I think I told you that Total Wine and More has come aboard as our sponsor, a major sponsor. And and before I even told you that, you had sent me a note. And I guess you had gone on to Total Wine's website, just kind of doing a, a checkup on how many canned wines they had. That number was astonishing. I think there were 190 different wines in cans available on that website, yes. <laughs> Can you even believe that? Well, I've bought wine from them. I mean, that's one of the ways that I find new wines is going on that website. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I, I love Total Wine & More. I feel so grateful to have them as a sponsor because for years and years I have been preaching the virtues of this company, not as a paid advertiser, just because I really like what they're doing. And they, they really stock a lot of really super interesting things, small brands that you can't find anyplace else. Their people are so incredibly knowledgeable there. I just, I love the company. And I love that you can go on there and engage just how popular a certain type of wine is, you know, by what they carry. But the, that canned inventory is just mind boggling to me. 
and their shipping is is excellent. I'm not really near a store, so I I have them ship it to me, and it usually gets there like overnight or the next day. So you're actually buying wine from them online, and uh, and, yep, and again, wow, okay, great. In cans. Now I I wonder this. Okay, could you put? Is anybody putting wine in cans? In their cellar. That I don't know. That come on, that would feel kind of weird, right? To go into somebody's cellar and they go, oh, "I've got something really special from you know back in uh, 2019," and of course it's you know it's 2030, and then they, they pop open a can. Just... All right, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to. You gonna are. Start, <laughs> okay. I'm going to start putting some wines away just for you, so you can taste them 15 yeah. years from now. Yeah, go to totalwine.com and buy a bunch of canned wine, and okay, then uh, good. And then get back to me in, in 20 years. <laughs> I'm very excited to, to see that. Hey, listen, I came across this very, very interesting twist. It actually is a twist on canned wines, and I, I can't wait to share it with you. I don't know if they're entered in the competition, but it's part of the reason that I wanted to get you back on the show is just to talk about this one brand because what they're doing is really out there. I got a feeling you know what I'm talking about, but – uh, we're going to see anyway, and it's not it's not an endorsement of the brand. I haven't tasted their wines at all, but boy, was I intrigued by what they're doing. So can you can you stay with me a little bit, and uh, and we'll talk about that. Absolutely. Okay, we'll talk into Alan Green, and you're the founder of the International Canned Wine Competition. Yeah, it's my baby. I'm I'm the founder. You are the founder, and it's and it's going to be held in Boonville. Is that correct? Correct. At okay. The Mendocino County Fairgrounds. Yeah, that's a very fun spot. And then after you give out the awards and all that, will there be some opportunity for people to taste those wines? A lot of times that happens after competitions. Well, not this year. This is our first year, and I wasn't sure, you know, what the response would be, how much interest there would be. So we didn't schedule any public event, but I'm thinking next year we may we may schedule an awards reception. Trust me, the interest is high. I, our online version of Grape Encounters that interview I did with you, it blew up with people interested in the subject. So I can assure you it's a hot topic. Okay, we're going to be back talking uh, a little bit more about canned wines and some other things as well with my guest, Alan Green, back in just a second with more Grape Encounters. David will be back with more Grape Encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. We like to talk about wine. The Oregon Wine Experience's Founders Barrel Auction on Friday, August 23rd is an afternoon of elegance. Sample wine futures from Authentique Wine Cellars, Hewitt Cellars, Laurel Ridge Winery, Left Coast Estate, Russell Prayer Rock Vineyards, Stone Griffin Vineyard, Vulcan Cellars, plus many more. The action takes off as you bid on the opportunity to win a case or the whole barrel of Oregon's finest wines. Go to TheOregonWineExperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. 
She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At MMOrganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Did you know that our studio is built in one of America's top-rated wine bars? You know what that means, don't you? Yep. When we uncork a new episode, you can uncork something very special indeed. You know, you got to be pretty careful about what you may poo-poo because a lot of things that we think are not going to take hold and blossom actually do. One of those things was screw cap wines. And one of the early adopters of screw cap wines is my guest, Alan Green, who is also the founder of the International Canned Wine Competition. And I bummed because I was supposed to be a judge there and had something come up. It's a nine-hour trek up there. It's not an easy place to fly into, so unless you got a friend with a private plane. So if anybody wants to give me a lift, let me know right away because I hate losing my judging uh, spot. But anyway, uh, Alan was an early adopter of screw cap wines. And how much, Alan, did that influence you to take an interest in canned wines? Well, I was already collecting wine cans since I started the winery in 1980. Somebody gave me a wine can, and I started collecting. So that's been almost 40 years. That, that came long before the screw caps, but I guess I'm not really a traditionalist. Well, the one thing that I know that you are is a baseball freak. and yes, uh, I'm still playing. Yeah, exactly. So there's nothing that goes better with a game of baseball than a can of beer. So I'm thinking if you're uh, the type of person who leans more toward wine, then wine in a can is very well suited to the sophisticated baseball fan. There you go. <laughs> okay. They are they are selling wine at uh, at one of the major league stadiums, wine in a can. Hey, don't kid yourself. They're selling them at a lot of the stadiums. And as a matter of fact, I can't say who it was or where it was. I'll just say that it was in the South. I was contacted by a major concessionaire at a major stadium that wanted me to put in a Grape Encounters wine concession there for baseball and football. How about that? Great. That would be a good good place to start expanding the 
canned wine uh, market. Well, I, you know, unfortunately, the deal didn't go through. I was kind of disappointed in that. But anyway, you win some, you lose some. So I came across this article yesterday, and I thought this was really super amazing, Alan. It's wine in aluminum bottles. So I, I guess technically it's canned wine. And do you know about this? Well, I've seen uh, wine in aluminum bottles, but I don't think I... The aluminum bottle is exactly the same shape as a wine bottle? But smaller, right? I think these are 750 mils. At least it oh. looks like that. Uh, I could be wrong, but based on the price, they're uh, 1699 and 1499. That don't sound like a small bottle, right? I've seen some from Europe, but I've never seen any from here. Oh, okay. I see it here. They're 500 milliliter. They're okay. 500 milliliters. So it's about, what is that, like two-thirds or something two like thirds, that? Two-thirds, right. Two-thirds. So anyway, the people that are doing this, it's it's called Bigsby's Folly. And I guess they've got a couple of different things, Rosé of Grenache and Sauvignon Blanc right now. And the can is so cool looking. I, I, I can't say anything about the wine because I haven't tasted it, but I'm going to contact them and hopefully they can send me some samples to try. But the artwork on the cans, boy, would you be proud to have this on your wine can collection shelf. Got a picture. Uh, it's It looks like an etching, actually, of a dog. And uh, I don't know what kind of dog he is, but he's uh, he looks maybe like an Irish setter or something like that. He's smoking a pipe. He's wearing a top hat. <laughs> mm, it's okay. beautiful. It's beautiful. It's anyway. Uh, owners are uh, Marla and Chad Yetka. And anyway, I, I'm going to track these folks down. It's it's California wine. It's, it's just beautiful. And I, and frankly, you know what? If people you know made wine in cans, you know, more consistent with that sort of glamour and style and romantic nature of of wine, I think the the can market would take off even more. Because then it would, I think, appeal more to you know the older segments of the population who aren't quite ready to to pry their stiff fingers off of a wine bottle. Yep, I, I hear you. Can you email me a link to that? Please? I will. I will definitely do that. Tell me the acceptance of wine in cans amongst people of older generations versus millennials and maybe Gen X? Well, certainly the younger people are earlier adapters, uh, but a lot of the richers and coolers are targeted specifically for the young crowd. Things like surf and swim, you know, labels are directly targeted to young folks going to the beach or the lake, going boating. So it may be the marketing that's aiming towards the youth. Okay, so let me ask you this. If I sat down and you gave me uh, 12 wines in a glass, okay, all to be tasted blind, and half of them were in cans or from cans, and half of them were from bottles, what do you think the odds are that I'd be able to distinguish them apart? I don't think so. You don't think so? No. Just, there's nothing, there's no dead giveaway that it's out of a can? I don't think so, no. Okay. Okay, so second question. Do you think that wines in the can are a pretty sound way for traditional winemakers to bridge the gap and make it more comfortable for younger wine drinkers to gain acceptance of wine and then perhaps eventually go to wine in a bottle? Is that happening? Do we know anything about that yet? Uh, I'm just guessing, but uh, everybody's got to start somewhere. And I know when I've first started drinking wine, I was drinking you know, sweet rosé, and it didn't take me long to move up to more sophisticated wines. So I don't see why 
it's not going to be the same with a lot of young people. If they start drinking wine, they'll be interested in more advanced wines, absolutely. So what was the first sweet rosé that you were drinking? Uh, Hush Vineyards, my neighbor. Oh, yeah, out there in the Anderson Valley. Right. I don't think they make it anymore, but that was one of the early products that they made. That was going back into the early 70s. You know what's really funny is you don't hear white Zinfandel too much anymore, do you? No, but we still have people coming into the tasting room uh, wanting to know why the Zinfandel is red. (laughs) That reminds me of a story. I was in the Midwest. I was in Decatur, Illinois, went into a restaurant, and I said, uh, and I was going to be speaking at a conference there, and I I talked to the server, and I said to her, I said, do you have, uh, you know, what, what, actually, I said, what red wines do you serve here? And she said, oh, we have a Cabernet and we have Merlot. I said, do you have any Zinfandel by chance? She said, Zinfandel? She said, sir, that's not a red wine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to we're gonna have to move on, but we're going to move on now to the subject of turning wine into vinegar. And I think it's a good segue because, you know, one of the nice things about wine in cans is that they're small servings, so the chance of your wine turning are very slim, right? You're not going to have spoilage like you would if you're pouring out of a 750 milliliter bottle. Right. If you have a whole bottle and expect to last three days, you may have vinegar. Uh, Yes. Well, not really vinegar, but it's definitely something you're not going to want to put on your salad. That's for sure. All right, Alan Green, I wish you the best. Hopefully somebody will call me and say that they'll give me a lift if I can find a little private plane. It doesn't have to be a jet. Uh, it, it could be just uh, an ultralight if I could yeah, uh, if go. I could get up there and judge that competition because I was looking forward to it. But I wish you all the best, and I uh, thank you so much for sharing so much of your knowledge with us. You're quite welcome. All thank right. <laughs> We're going to be back in just a second with uh, more Grape Encounters Radio and talking about the myths when it comes to wine turning to vinegar and what really happens when wine oxidizes, the good, the bad, and the ugly of wine that's past its prime uh, next on Grape Encounters Radio. We've got to take a breather for a minute or two. Don't go away. Remember, if we don't let the wine breathe, it's impossible for the show to be done in good taste. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. If you're topping off your burger with grilled onions and blue cheese, pair your work of art with a spicy mile back. Nothing beats a buttery Chardonnay with grilled corn on the cob. I'm ready to find you the perfect bottle of white for your next get-together. Pack up the cooler for this weekend. We've got canned wine and beer ready to throw on ice. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers! I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E. Ranch. 
www.oregonwine.com. Savor Oregon's finest wines at the Oregon Wine Experience's Grand Tasting on Sunday, August 25th. Work your way through the tasting tables and enjoy an array of delicious culinary bites. Don't miss this special opportunity to sample wines from all corners of Oregon in one unique location. The wine pours start at 2 p.m. Plan your experience today. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we believe there's no way to fake a great wine, and where we never fake our disdain for the really bad ones. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and now um, I'm going to change the subject to a subject that has really been on my mind lately, because I hear people misunderstand what happens to wine when it goes bad. And I always hear people say, it turns to vinegar. And then I have to get into a whole long lecture about, well, it kind of doesn't turn to vinegar and explain the whole thing. You know, and then other people will take that bad wine, especially the reds, and they'll sit it on the kitchen counter for Pete's sake. And they'll wait till they're making some pasta sauce or, or beef bourguignon or something. And they'll pour this wine that is not fit for human consumption in any way, shape, or form into their food and destroy it. And if it if it bugs me, it's got a bug. My friend Wes Hagen, even more Wes Hagen, the winemaker at Jay Wilkes, the very uh, famous uh, Pinot maker from Clopepe, the guy who helped author the Santa Rita Hills AVA wine educator and uh, brand ambassador. And, and I caught you driving in Los Angeles, Wes. Right, I uh, did. I'm just passing Cesar Chavez Avenue, so I'm feeling very, uh, very pro labor right now. And you know, and 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 he's uh, has a lot to do with the grape business, you know. So certainly, your hats off. Well, anyway, yeah. so you so see, you're out uh, running around and preaching the story of Jay Wilkes, which, by the way, is part of a much larger organization that is really getting some huge traction right now. The Miller family. You're welcome to just you know mention some of those brands if you like to. Sure. So I'm the brand ambassador. I'm the winemaker for Jay Wilkes Wines, but I'm also the brand ambassador for Ballard Lane, Barrel Burner, and Smashberry Wine. And you can find them at your local stores, usually from between about 10 bucks up to about 30 bucks. So we are very well priced. I like to say we make serious, serious wine for, you know, geeks that they can drink every day while they wait for the expensive wine to age, to slowly become a uh, Slightly oxidized, so they're uh, even even better, as we're going to talk about. All right, we're going to talk about that, but I, I did want to mention one thing, and this is not a commercial for you guys. It's just that Smashberry is one of the most delicious porch pounders that you can possibly imagine. If you just want to it's have... a great wine. It is a delicious wine. I mean, it's just, it's sweet and delicious. It's not overpoweringly sweet, but it is just so joyful. It's, it's a happy wine, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't call it a serious wine. I would call it just the opposite, a frivolous wine, a, a just fun-loving, you-can't-drink-it-without-a-smile-on-your-face kind of wine. It's a fruit-forward wine, and we've actually pulled back on the sweetness a little bit. Oh, so have it's you? Almost, it's almost dry. Very fruity, very bright, very easy to drink, usually Merlot or Cabernet-based with a little Syrah, Zinfandel, uh, maybe some Cabernet Franc, but all from our estate vineyards in the Paso Robles Highlands District. And for an estate wine of that quality and that blend, it's sort of going a little bit towards the prisoner model, if you know those wines. Yeah, of course. From, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
really, really lovely wines, and but you don't have to spend forty bucks on them. Yeah, they're so really lovely, just lovely everyday drinker. Pr- pretty wines, and people just love them. And I, I, I've been drinking them for years. I, I love them. Okay, enough of that. Uh, let's talk about vinegar for a second. You know, people say this all the time to me. They say my wine turned to vinegar, yeah. and it's not. <laughs> Okay, so technically, uh, maybe if you wait 20 or 30 years, it could turn to vinegar or there's some ways to speed up the process. But for the most part, that bottle of wine that you forgot to protect didn't turn to vinegar. I don't even want to use the word. It's just not. It turned to oxidized. It turned to oxidized wine. Okay, so let, let's explain that. Okay, and and also, can we? Can you just back me on the statement that if your wine is is no longer drinkable, no, you can't turn it into vinegar that you can put on your salad later on. Well, I suppose you kind of could, but let's just get into it. Sure. So there's two things that turn wine into vinegar. One is oxygen, and the other is Acetobacter. Acetobacter is basically a bacteria that will basically come in on the feet of fruit flies. So fruit flies are necessary for one of the things to uh, put acetobacter into the wine. Now, once there's acetobacter into the wine, it's a matter of how much oxygen is in contact with that wine because the acetobacter also requires oxygen to slowly turn that wine bad. So let's talk about kind of what happens. So a wine stays out on your counter or in your fridge for a couple days, and it's just not right. The fruit dies. It starts getting a little sour. It starts having a little aroma in the nose that may remind you of nail polish remover, which is a chemical called ethyl acetate. Right. So clean wine becomes basically affected by acetobacter. It starts producing a little bit of a chemical called volatile acidity, and the volatile acidity makes it smell a little sour. And then from volatile acidity, you move to ethyl acetate, which smells like nail polish remover. And then from ethyl acetate to get to acetic acid, because acetic acid is vinegar. That, it, that's going to require a lot of time. The wine's not going to taste like vinegar. It's not going to taste like wine. It's going to taste like something in the middle. But as we all know, if you've ever tried to buy a very expensive vinegar from Italy, some of these vinegars uh, to get completely and totally mature take 5, 10, 15, 20 yeah, years exactly. in exactly. a vinegar barrel. And the Acetobacter, there's different kind of, I don't want to say brands of Acetobacter, but different styles of Acetobacter. So if you want to find uh, the mother of a fantastic vinegar, put it in a barrel, and then every time you're done with wine, and I recommend this, if you, if you throw a lot of wine out, and we'll talk about cooking with the bad wine too, because I don't really believe that's a smart idea, you can take your wine when it goes a little bit south, pour it into a barrel that has some of this uh, vinegar mother that you can find from either vinegar stores or from friends who make vinegar. And then a couple years, every so often, you can take a little bit of vinegar out of the barrel, put it into a bottle, give it to someone for a Christmas gift. So it does take some time, some effort to turn wine into vinegar, but it doesn't take more than a few days to have the wine start down the path of what the Romans called the wine disease, that wine goes bad. Um, and we put, you know, a little bit of something in the wine to keep it from oxidizing. But it's so important, you know, to keep, that's why we'll keep a cork on your wine when it's on your counter, because that'll keep the oxygen out, that'll keep the fruit flies out. And if you want to know what a fruit fly does to a wine, next time you have a glass of wine and one single fruit fly flies into it, swirl it and smell it, and you will be able to smell the impact of one fruit fly okay, th- this in is one a, minute. This is, a funny sto- this, is, this is a funny story because I was in the Napa Valley doing a show, standing out in a vineyard with Ian Cobble, you know, who's been the star sure. of multiple editions of the Psalm series, and you know, one of the best-known Psalms in the country. And we were drinking a $200 bottle of wine. 
And I was sitting there, and, and he looks over at my glass, and he sees a fruit fly in my glass, which was, you know, two-thirds full, right? And, yep. and I don't get to drink this kind of wine all the time. He grabs my glass, and he dumps it out. <laughs> I go, yeah. I go, what are you doing? He says, you have a fruit fly in your glass. I said, well, I'll pick it out. And he says, no, it's, it'll destroy the wine. And, and you know what? He was right because I smelled what was left in the, in the glass, and it smelled yep. funky. Yeah. You funky so, little fruit flies? I tell you. It's just the acetobacter, baby. It's just it's an evil, evil stuff. And, I mean, that's one reason why good winemakers do any and everything they can to keep those fruit flies off of their fermentations because that's what basically drops the seed for, to turn that wine, uh, um, you know, volatile into an acetate and then eventually back into vinegar. So yeah, the last exactly. thing you want, last thing you yeah. Hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to continue this conversation in just a second. I, didn't, I don't recall if I told you, but we are now sponsored by Total Wine & More. Well, congratulations. And I know, you're, I know you're a big fan of theirs because you and I have talked about them before, and I, I didn't even get a chance to tell you this, but they've come on board to help us spread the gospel of Grape Encounters. And of course, we're going to spread the gospel of Total Wine & More. Oh, that's great, David. Congratulations. That's just a match made in heaven and or a wine glass, which in my world is about the same. <laughs> when when Clopepe was still around and, you know, you've closed that winery, I believe Total Wine was carrying those wines, weren't they? Which is amazing because we were like a 1,200 case production and we were on their radar. I mean, we got some great scores and all that, but they contacted us and they bought our Pinot Noir and it wasn't inexpensive, but they paid us what we asked them for. They put it on the shelves of six Southern California locations, and we sold those wines pretty quickly. And that was, that kind of support, when you're just a small little production, it's just you, you can't uh, you can't imagine how much that means to us. The reason that I have such respect for them is because they do carry a lot of really obscure wines, and they have a number of wines. I think it's actually a, I want to say a third or a fourth of their wines are direct from the winery, and many of those wines you can't get anyplace else. And so they, they support the little guys, and that's not always typically the case with a place like, you know, you know a big box kind of a place. They're so tuned in to everybody across the spectrum in wine. So I, I just I couldn't be prouder to be associated with them. They're just a wonderful place. And I, when I want inspiration or I'm even looking for unusual varietals and stuff, I go wander into a Total Wine. They just have yep, so many cool too. stuff. I, I'm sure they, they must be carrying wines that you guys are making. Certainly. Absolutely. We're lucky to have them as a partner. All right. Well, we're going to come back with more with Wes Hagen. Hey, we're talking about wine turning to vinegar accidentally. Does it really even do that? And we're also going to get into, in just a second, the subject of oxidation. And what does that really mean? And why is it mostly bad, but sometimes good when we continue with Grape Encounters? Sometimes drinking wine makes you just want to curl up in a comfy chair and dream about puppy dogs, faraway places, and other happy thoughts. Or you can just enjoy that cuvee in your glass and lose yourself in the conversation on Grape Encounters Radio. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Nothing beats beers and burgers. And with so many to choose from, we've got the perfect cold one waiting for you. Serving up salads at your cookout this weekend? Add a dry rosé to the table for a perfect pairing. When I'm the barbecue grill master, I've got to have a cold lager in my hand. Hey, grab me another. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers! 
Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. People often ask, why hasn't someone tarred and feathered Grape Encounters host David Wilson for breaking so many of the old rules? Simple. No one likes the old rules. Back with Grape Encounters Radio and one of my absolute favorite people in the wine business. I try to get him on every couple of months. Sometimes I miss out, but he's Wes Hagen. He's worn many, many, many hats in his life. He does more than just make wine and represent the wonderful brands for his company, including Jay Wilkes, which is a brand that he's making all the wine for. It's absolutely delicious, but he's uh, left his mark in wine history, especially California wine history. Uh, but we're talking about oxidation, Wes. You know, you and I are getting so old we're we're beginning to oxidize are we not <laughs> no i mean that's what free radicals and a little oxygen you know i mean oxygen keeps us alive and oxygen also feeds other animals then some of those animals do terrible and awful things to our wine so in general, oxygen is the enemy of a wine after it's finished fermentation. Yes, but when you're at a party and, and you use the phrase, my wine turned to vinegar, that's probably not really an accurate phrase. Your wine is spoiling, and, and so many people will take a wine that has turned, and we'll yes. talk about turned a little bit more, and they'll put it into their recipes that call for wine, or they think they're going to dress up their pasta sauce or something like that, and it's going to do exactly what you would expect it to do, garbage in, garbage out, as they say. It can in the, be. In the, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you wouldn't pour spoiled cream into your coffee, right? You wouldn't, if you had a rotten egg, you wouldn't make scrambled eggs with it. So if the wine is tasting terrible, you can't add terrible to delicious and get more delicious. You're going to take it and down a notch. You're not going to take it up a notch. I bet that actually started with our grandparents who lived through the Depression. Nothing was wasted. Everything was used, double used, and reused. It is a shame when wine goes bad. I would suggest that, uh, you know, if you can't drink a bottle of wine over two or three days, you should invite me over and I can help you 
out. But I want to just make sure that people do realize that most chefs, and I think it started with Julia Child, used to say, if you won't drink it, don't put it in your sauce. I mean, if you just need some acid in your sauce, then you can use vinegar. Acetic acid works wonderful. It's, yeah. You know, most dishes require a little acidity, whether it's yeah, lemon gotcha. juice yeah. or what have you. But goodness gracious. If, yeah, I, I like the uh, I like the coffee and rotten cream analogy. If you want things to taste delicious, put delicious things into the dish. No doubt about that. Now, I, I've got a, a number of questions to ask you, and we don't have a lot of time here. But we were talking sure. about the vinegar mother, and that is a real term. It's not the mother of all vinegars, uh, but it's the, the vinegar mother. And am I correct that that sort of white, frothy stuff that you see on organic, let's say, apple cider vinegar, isn't that technically a vinegar mother? Depending on where it's, where it's at, if there is some uh, floor, which I would call floor, like growing on the top of a vinegar, yeah. you could probably scoop that off, put it in a, in, a, in a barrel, put the wine in and expect it to turn to vinegar. You would definitely have a lot of those bacteria, the acetobacter, in that floor. But it could, you could go online, couldn't you, probably, and buy vinegar mother? Oh, yes. And that's exactly what you should do. I mean, if you, if you don't have friends that make their own vinegar, that's obviously the best way to do it, but certainly the internet will provide anything and everything. And uh, do a little research, try to find what kind of vinegar you want to make, what style. You're going to make a white vinegar or a, a, a red wine vinegar, and then find an appropriate mother and uh, look for something special. Don't skimp because you're going to only need it once, and it'll make gallons and gallons and gallons of vinegar. And, and, and I recommend get yourself a 15-gallon barrel. Put some mother in there, and every time you have a problem, it's not like you have to keep it filled up. Just put a bottle of wine in there every once in a while, and a year and a half later, you can start putting that in little bottles, maybe with some herbs, and give them away as gifts. It's perfect. Man, I tell you what, you, you get, you're giving away your bad wine at Christmas time, and it's actually going to be better than probably what you, <laughs> you might buy for somebody. So True. Um, the, the vinegar mother is kind of like a sourdough starter. You know, exactly. You, you just keep it alive oh. all the time. And uh, I had some for a while, and I kept it in my fridge and was able to, to successfully use it. Now, let's talk about oxidation in a broader sense. When a wine begins to oxidize, it gets this really kind of strange taste. To me, it tastes sort of like hazelnutty, and that's good. In a white wine. Yeah, but let's talk about what happens in, say, something like a tawny port, where you're actually tasting that same oxidation, but it works in that context, but it doesn't work in the context of, say, a, a bottle of your Chardonnay turning. Yeah, and that's why I always say, if you love the taste of tawny port, if you love the taste of sherry, then you love a little oxidation in your wine, and you're one of those people that would probably benefit for aging your wine to allow it to start turning, but to arrest it starting to turn right where it loses its fruit, but starts showing some of the wonderful complexity that lived under the baby fat of the wine. And that's the power of oxidation. So why is it that I can buy a bottle of port, a bottle of sherry, I can open it up, have a glass, put the stopper back in it, and then two months later, I can open it up and it's just as good. Why is it so special? What's the difference? Well, it's basically gone through a purposeful oxidation. So the oxidation is already done. And the oxidation is actually, believe it or not, protecting the wine against further oxidation. And, you know, once the wine has already kind of gone through its process of the acetobacter doing its business, in the end, boom, you put it in that position and you don't even have to worry about it anymore. Is it wise to refrigerate it? Yeah. I mean, you could, I would, cork it and put it back in the cellar between 55 and 65. If you put a port, a red a red wine or a fortified red wine in the fridge, it will start losing and uh, the tartaric acid will start making sediment and you don't want too much sediment. Okay. So a refrigerator is better than no temperature control, but I would prefer to keep a bottle of uh, open sherry or a bottle. Sherry doesn't uh, change very quick, but a bottle of port, especially if it was a vintage port, I would definitely put a cork in it and then put it either in a, in a 55 to 65 degree wine cellar. And if you don't have that, just yeah, go for the fridge. And we only got a second left. But if you are into vinegar and you're into wine and you
you just happen to be carrying your vinegar mother with you, don't take it to a winery. <laughs> no, we wouldn't like that kind of acetobacter coming into the winery, it's, nor do we want sour beers that are made with, you know, lactobacillus and bacillus. Winemakers are really, winemakers are really pa- paranoid about that. That's I a, don't like sour beer. Yeah, there no. There are so many beers that are delicious in the world, I don't get it. I don't get it, but I know some people do. Some people don't like sherry. Some people don't want orange wine, but uh, I don't want sour beers. You can definitely keep them to yourself. Okay, we've been listening to the genius that is Wes Hagen, and I always know I can turn to you when I need to clarify the answer to a question in a way that even I can't simplify. But you're a genius, Wes. And again, you're uh, a, a, a quick plug for where people can find your wines because they're delicious. Sure. They can go to the Miller Family Wine Company.com or specifically to J Wilk. That's J W I L K E S.com. And if they want to communicate me with directly, just they can send an email directly to me right off the website. And I'd love to have conversations with wine lovers. Awesome. Hey, that's going to do it, Wes, for today's Grape Encounters. Let's make sure that next time we have a conversation, we do it in person. So appreciate it. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters. I appreciate all of you out there as well listening to the show, and you've supported the show for well over 10 years. I can't thank you enough. We'll be back here next week. Well, this episode of Grape Encounters is in the bag. It's hard to imagine you haven't missed some episodes, so why not hunt them down at grapeencounters.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast sites. Grape Encounter Studios are located in beautiful Atascadero, California. That's Central Coast wine country, baby. Come visit us. But be warned, you won't want to leave. That's okay, we have a spare bedroom. But it's 55 degrees and full of old bottles. (laughs) 